0: remember driving down and I just remember just just crying. I was I was convinced some of them are gonna die.
1: From Wyoming Public Media, this is human nature, real stories where humans and our habitat meet. I'm Caroline Ballard. Welcome to our fourth season. If you're a longtime listener, welcome back. And if you're just discovering the show, we're happy to have you. As the nights get longer, you can help us with our upcoming Halloween episode. Have you had something spooky or supernatural happen to you? Share your story with us at humannaturepodcast.org. This time, we'll hear about a group of people who fight for what they believe in every day. But when chaos strikes, their dedication is pushed to the limit. And what they believe in is wolves. These are captive bred wolves and wolf dogs. You can hear one of these wolf dogs sort of bark howling. Most of these animals have been rescued from situations of abuse and neglect. The human nature team is at Wolf Sanctuary in northern Colorado in a steep mountain canyon. To get here, we had to drive miles up the mountain and then turn on to a narrow dirt road. It's one way in, one way out. These howls are in response to our arrival. The animals are checking in with each other to make sure everyone's okay with the new visitors. And some of the wolves are eager to meet us. Michelle Prue is the Director of Animal Care and Education at Wolf Sanctuary. She introduces us to a young black wolf named Ashima.
0: And Ashima's the little black one here. She's about 15 months old. She's in with Spartacus. And uh, they've been together uh, since she was about four months old, I think is when, when they got introduced to each other.
1: What do you
2: think? I'm just getting wet.
1: I'm just getting wet.
0: These two in particular really like swimming. So they're almost constantly in their pool, splashing around, playing. Huh, Spartacus?
1: Yeah, they're they're having a lot of fun, especially in that water. I sort of wish I could, maybe not in that water, but water sounds good right now to kind of dig around like you're doing Spartacus.
0: And if you go up to the fence, you know, they'll rub up against the fence. You can give them scratches and...
1: Hey, Shima! Oh, oh, thank you for those licks. Oh,
0: (laughs) yeah, she's she's been raised by people since she was three weeks old. So she's super social, really likes to interact with people uh, and be around humans.
1: You're about as tall as I am. Shima and Spartacus are sweet, but wolf dogs don't make good pets. The animals at Wolf Sanctuary were rescued from owners who couldn't handle them as pets, or from bad breeding situations. This is interesting that we're backed right up to the mountain basically. It's mm-hmm. this really sort of, not sheer vertical, but it goes up pretty steep. Do they like that?
0: Yeah, they get around these enclosures really well. It gives them a lot of cover obviously. Being able to, to hide from people is very important. It makes them feel more comfortable, makes them feel more safe. And unless they're super social like we saw with Ashima and Spartacus, most of our animals want nothing to do with us. They really are big scaredy cats. The big bad wolf is really a coward. So having the foliage and vegetation in here gives them places to hide. Also, especially in the summer, it provides them shade and shelter from the sun and the heat.
1: Hi Neshoba! Where is she? So
0: Neshoba is oh, up there the hill, you can it's... see. Yep. He's a wolf malamute mix, high content, which means we think he's got more wolf in him than dog. He's also in with another high content individual whose name is Isabeau, and I'm not sure if she will put on an appearance. It gets hot and they all kind
1: of go. June 9th, 2012 was another hot summer morning. Michelle and her coworkers were filling water troughs to help keep the animals cool.
0: The animals were very laid back and lazy, they weren't doing much. As always happens in the summer, we were working on fire mitigation activities, preparing for a big fire. We were working on constructing fire den structures. The idea is that these shelters made out of concrete partially buried in the ground would help to protect the animals in case of a fire. If we weren't able to evacuate, it would at least give them a place to go where they could get away from the smoke, where they could get away from the heat a little bit being insulated by the ground.
1: And then, as Michelle and her co-workers were getting ready to feed the wolves their fresh meat breakfast, the sanctuary's director at the time came out of the office and said, There's a fire in the area. Does anyone
0: see it? And we all started looking up. It was a clear, bright blue sky, not a cloud in any direction. We're all looking up, trying to see if we can see smoke. We could even smell smoke. we kind of going,
1: really? There's a fire? I
0: I don't I don't know it doesn't look like there's
1: anything. That was around nine or ten in the morning, but only a little bit later.
0: There was this huge black cloud coming up over it It just it just seemed to explode out of nowhere and just coming up over the ridge and and within an hour or two the entire sky was dark gray and black and you could smell the smoke coming in you know this, this bright blue day had become this really scary
1: ominous feel to it so Michelle started to wonder what the plan was for taking care of the animals. What if the fire spread to the canyon and the sanctuary?
0: The director at the time, he was essentially saying, well, it's still far away, we don't have to evacuate yet. It's still far away, we don't have to evacuate yet. It's still far away, we don't have to evacuate.
1: But that bothered Michelle. The wolves don't live in dog runs. These are huge, wild enclosures that disappear up the canyon sides. There are a lot of places for the animals to run and hide. And many of the wolves are skittish. Michelle knew it would take a lot of time to round up, crate, and move all 30 animals.
0: So me and my coworker were kind of sitting there going, Should we start now? How about now? What about now? And it just kind of kept getting pushed off and pushed off and pushed off. And finally, I think around like one or two in the afternoon, uh, we, he became convinced that it was serious enough that we should start preparing to evacuate if that became necessary. Finally, I forget when it was, maybe four o'clock? We got a reverse 911 call ordering evacuation of the area because the fire was burning out of control. There was zero containment. It was getting close. And that's when me and my coworker really started to panic because, um, the director at the time had said he'd maintained a list of places where the animals could go in the event that we needed to evacuate. And we found out, well, that wasn't true. So we had nowhere for the animals to go with an evacuation. So we were frantically calling around to shelters and things to see if there was a kennel or a boarding facility that could hold one or two of these wolves. We had 30 animals we needed to try to find placement for, somewhere for them to go. And it was it was just, we still didn't have any volunteer help up. At the sanctuary to help us evacuate. It it really, at least my re- recollection of it and the feelings that I had during it was just it was one big chaotic mess of, of activity uh, come around four or five o'clock in the afternoon. Police officers were going door to door, basically knocking on the door, telling people they needed to get out. They had to evacuate. This was mandatory. So that was probably, I think we actually started our evacuation effort around maybe 6 or 7 o'clock at night. The fire started sometime around 9 or 10, or at least our awareness of the fire started around 9 or 10. And we'd waited that long to get the animals out. And at that point, it just kind of became a triage situation where we had about 10 minutes per animal and if we couldn't get that animal caught up in that amount of time, we had to move on to the next one. Which ones can we put on a harness and get in a car? Those guys go first. And it was it was just kind of, you know, throwing animals in a kennel, putting them in a car, sending them down, being like, just go here, uh, trying trying to, to get them all placed. Not all the animals can be approached or touched. And when you're dealing with our hillsides, which are extremely steep, very rugged, full of obstacles, trees, bushes, rocks, it can be incredibly challenging to get the animals into a position where you can actually get hands on them. We couldn't get them all. It was, it was the worst feeling I have ever experienced to have to leave and leave animals behind. To, to work on catching them up and to fail and to know that I didn't have any more time to work with them, that I didn't have any more time to try to catch them because I needed to try and catch somebody else, I needed to try to get somebody else. It, it, was, it was chaotic, it was horrifying to be a part of and I remember driving down and I just remember just, just crying. I was, I was convinced some of them are gonna die. The animals we'd left behind, We, if we could, we opened up gates in between enclosures so they'd have more space or they'd have access to a fire den. We'd done as much as we could, really, um, considering when we had actually started this project.
1: That first day, only 11 of the animals were taken to safety. Some went to the home of one of Wolf Sanctuary's board members, Shelly
3: Coldiron. It was about 4.30, and I was headed home, and I got this panic call from Michelle. I heard heard this total chaos in the background, and she says, how many can you take? And I said, well, I'm on my way home. I'll grab my neighbors, and we'll put toppers on my enclosures, uh, my runs, and I've got four, indoor, outdoors. I close off the inside. From the outside, I, I could take 16. So I got home, grabbed my neighbors, and we started working on it right away. I was terrified because as I got closer and
2: closer, driving down the highway, the smoke was so intense. That's volunteer Susan Wydell. You know, when I started from Laramie, Wyoming, there wasn't any smoke. And as I got closer, and it's about an hour's drive, the smoke was intense. And so when I got to the rendezvous site... The smoke was so bad, it seemed like it was dusk, but it wasn't. And it was unbelievably hot. And so we didn't know how many animals were coming. It was a scene for me of what seemed like near chaos. I was very frightened for the animals, and I knew that all the animals were not coming down, and I was terrified for the ones that were left behind. That first night, Michelle
1: took two wolves home with her.
0: I didn't even have a kennel for them. They just had to stay on harnesses and leashes. And and people literally slept outside tied to them so that they wouldn't get out of the yard and and do that. And I remember sleeping in the car with them a couple times because that's where they were most comfortable. They felt safe in the car. So it was just me and one other person and and two wolf dogs curled up (laughs) in a car sleeping at night. Um, We were just desperate to find places for them to go. The director at the time and one of my coworkers actually opted to stay the night. They opted to stay with the animals and not evacuate. And they were calling and giving updates. You know, here's where the fire is. You know, we can see the glow over the ridge. We can see the flames leaping up. Um, but we're okay. We're okay.
1: On Sunday, the second day of the fire, they evacuated, bringing two more animals with them. Authorities said it was too dangerous for anyone to go back up that meant 17 wolves were still in the canyon with the fire approaching
0: it was it was just so crazy you know to, to be worried you know who do you focus on now do you focus on the ones you've gotten off and, and aren't at risk of burning or do you focus on the ones that are up at the sanctuary what do you do how what can you do because this fire it's huge it's destroying homes it's destroying these 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 brave men and women are going up there risking their lives trying to to get this under control so that that people can survive and 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 here we are sitting there going but we left can we get back up there we left we left some animals behind you know asking them to risk their lives even more and it it was it was just it was it was just I I didn't know really how to how to deal with it I was I was just kind of lost trying to to figure out what did I do and, and what could I do to try to help
1: Meanwhile, Shelly was focused on the wolves in her care. Volunteers built more kennels at her house
3: with donated materials. And pretty much at that point, wolf became part of my home. And uh, my dogs, they were like, what is going on here? (laughs) So, you know, it was just total chaos. And um, I had just finished remodeling my home, and it turned into this constant traffic of 20 volunteers. 24-7 for almost a month through my house to try to take care of the animals.
1: And Susan had taken two wolves
2: back to her house. Muck, who was about 18 years old at the time and totally blind, was an animal who needed a place to go. He was quite frail. And there was another animal named Atlantis, and he and Muck lived in an enclosure together. And when I got the two wolves and we headed back to Wyoming, I was also terrified because I thought about how stressed they were going to be and that I had five dogs and where was I going to be able to keep them safe and would they be able to handle the stress. So for me it was enormously stressful. They had inhaled a lot of smoke and they had been given some medication to help with the stress. And the next morning when I woke up, they hadn't moved an inch. And it freaked me out so much. I thought, are they alive?
1: Muck and Atlantis were staying in Susan's garage, and a breakfast of raw steak and chicken revived them. And Susan and the two wolves got used to living together.
2: And I put a cot in the garage so that I could sleep with them partly during the day, and They settled into a routine. Muck, who was, he's a little black wolf who was blind. He would stay in the garage, but Atlantis had what I would call almost a renaissance. I would just put a slip lead around his neck, and he would walk out of the garage with me, and we would take a walk around my yard. I have a lot of flowers and rose bushes, and he would literally smell the roses. We would walk early in the morning and then late in the, in the evening when it was dusk uh, and the heat was gone. And in Wyoming, there's a breeze that comes and he just loved that breeze. And he would lay in the grass, smell the roses and just enjoy life. I had a pit bull and a healer cross who were um, really curious about them so i would let them come into the garage and i would read out loud i had a cookbook of desserts for dogs so i started reading them recipes for doggy carrot cake for peanut butter treats my dog cheeto my healer his birthday was coming up and i thought let's go through this cheeto and indicate to me what recipe you want me to make for your birthday and it was unanimous they all wanted the carrot cake
1: like the other animals at wolf sanctuary muck and atlantis were rescued from traumatic
2: circumstances they both came from a very um uh difficult breeding situation in wisconsin where the breeder passed away and no one knew it and the animals were left chained without food and water. So we rescued 18 animals from that breeding facility, and these were two of those. What does it mean to you to be friends with a wolf as opposed to other animals? Um, it is quite different. With dogs, they're people pleasers. Wolves are not people pleasers. They are quite the opposite. And so um, they tend to be quite shy and if they trust you it is an enormous leap for them and that was an amazing feeling that i had somehow been able to bridge that gap and they had bridged a gap with me so it was a quite extraordinary time it was i looked at it as time out of time something that would most likely never happen again and i prayed that it would never happen again because the fire was so frightening
1: for 5 days Michelle waited for news about the 17 wolves still trapped at the sanctuary. From below, it looked like the whole mountain was on fire. On the fifth day, emergency crews briefly allowed staff back into the sanctuary. They could finally move the rest of the animals. Michelle was relieved. During the fire, emergency crews had made sure the animals left behind had enough water, and they had been able to stay cool in their fire dens.
0: We got extremely lucky that not a single one of them had any burns. There was there was no burn marks. there was no uh, issues with smoke inhalation. Um, they all stayed stayed safe. that was that was just amazing that they could do that considering how close the fire got.
1: The sanctuary's thirty wolves were housed at several different locations while the fire burned. At Susan's house, Muck rested and listened to Susan Reed and Atlantis smelled the roses in her
2: garden. He and I formed a very, very strong bond, and he ended up passing away at my house. He put his head in my lap, and he just slept. And it was one of the greatest gifts that an animal has ever given me, that he would trust me enough to put his head in my lap. He died on the 4th of July. We got him to my house on June 9th, and he passed away on the 4th of July. His spinal myelopathy began to deteriorate the last few days we were together. And he got to this point where he could no longer get up. And he struggled um, for a while to get up. And real- when he realized that he could no longer get up, he literally put himself into a coma. And we helped him pass. And so. It was a hot afternoon on the 4th of July um, that he, he went peacefully. And Muck stayed with me for about another week and a half before he could come back to the sanctuary. We had already picked out the recipe for Cheeto's birthday, so by then I was reading them a novel, and they seemed interested. but. Um, they didn't get to hear the end because I was able to bring Muck back to the sanctuary um, before we got to the end of that novel.
1: Three weeks after the fire started, the road to the canyon was fully reopened. But before they could bring back the wolves...
0: The director at the time, um, he resigned. He resigned. Uh, and kind of just left everybody hanging. <laughs> and luckily Shelley stepped up and she took over as executive director and kind of got us all squared away.
3: I have business experience. I'll do this temporarily. That was six years ago. <laughs> so yeah, that's how I got involved. You wonder if Serendipity played a role in some of this? Um, like the place I, you know, I just kind of retrospect on things and the place that I have um, the three acres had I not had that, where would these animals have gone? Had they not come into my house where where would I have been today? Um, you know, you just kind of wondered, was I somehow guided to have this place for being there when wolf needed it, so that the animals could be safe and have a future.
0: The fire got, it burned four structures on the property. So it actually did destroy buildings on our property and it burned three enclosures. And one of those enclosures, we actually had animals in while it was on fire. Um, They had to stay behind. The other enclosures actually remained relatively unscathed, although the fire got within about eight feet of those enclosures before it stopped. You can actually look up, and you can see where these trees have been scorched black by the fire. Over to the right here, we've got a larger enclosure. That's our largest enclosure, actually. That one was actually burning actively uh, with animals in that enclosure. We got very, very lucky. I don't, I don't know what what deity or higher power was looking after us during the fire, but we do seem to have kind of this little bubble of non-fire that just essentially located itself right over the top of the sanctuary. If you go back and you actually look at the fire maps that were released during the High Park fire, you can actually see on those maps where the sanctuary is and it's like red all around it where the fire is raging and then there's this little spot of, of blankness where the fire didn't get to.
1: What was it like reintroducing them to the enclosures here after the fire?
0: it was awesome um, to, to let them go back into the enclosures to get to see them have more space to be able to see them interact with their environment again uh, for many of them it was kind of like giving a kid a credit card and releasing them into a candy store and seeing <laughs> you know they were just so excited and so happy to be back and exploring everything and marking territory and they they recognized it as their home they recognized it as where they lived so they were super happy to be back you could almost feel their sigh of relief to be back home to be back where where they belong
2: Michelle, why do you do what you do?
0: I really have fallen in love with wolves and wolf dogs, and I feel like they're a very misunderstood and and maligned species, um, both in captivity and in the wild.
3: Wolves are so villainized so viciously and so incorrectly that people don't understand who they are. They need somebody to be their champion. Just being able to take them from a situation which was horrid for them, and watch them blossom into these free-spirited, non-stressed, happy, healthy souls is my reward.
2: Humans as a species have a responsibility to the animals that we have created and so frequently abandoned, particularly with captive-born wolves. They didn't ask to be born, they're in an unnatural position, they're kind of betwixt and between, they're not dogs, and yet they can't live in the wild, so I feel like the work that I do and the work that we as a sanctuary do is to help them um, navigate a life that they never asked for, and we try to provide the best possible life.
3: What we've learned by those who are still with us is resiliency. These guys are survivors. And they've adapted to, you know, the changes in their lives. So and you, if you need an attitude adjustment, just look at these guys. You know, life life's good. Life's good.
1: storytellers were Shelley Coldiron, Susan Wydell, and Michelle Prue. At the time the High Park fire started, it was the worst wildfire in Colorado history. Since 2012, Wolf Sanctuary has developed a comprehensive evacuation plan with trailers and an emergency evacuation site for all the wolves at Shelley's house. Again, if you have a story for our Halloween episode, get in touch through our website Human Nature Podcast.org. And you can help other people find the show. Share an episode with a friend, or leave a review or rating wherever you listen. I'm Caroline Ballard. The show is produced by Ashton Hooker, Erin Jones, Anna Rader, and Micah Schweitzer. Our theme song is by Caught a Ghost. Human Nature is a production of Wyoming public media.